Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one had ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Thanks, Beth. Uh, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Tacos. I feel like we don't need to say any more about Father's Day, just tacos. Um, it's going to be fun. Uh, make sure you come out there hungry. Uh, we'll try to do our best to help the aid that process by the time you get out there. Um, hey, thank you for those of you uh, who prayed for us while we were away. We were away for the last two weeks on vacation, and it was, uh, it was a great time. Oh, my goodness. It was the first time Cindy and I felt that much uh, like restfulness in a while. So for those of you guys who, who prayed, thank you so much for that. Uh, but it's also interesting, uh, you know, we, we're just gone two weeks, but we're like, man, we miss those guys. That's just one weekend. And so um, we're, we're happy to be back, happy to kind of be, be here celebrating a summer with you and continuing our One God, One Story a series, looking through the Old Testament, uh, this kind of high-level uh, survey as we go through it. And what I thought we'd do to celebrate Father's Day is, you've heard it read, uh, look at the text of the death of Moses. Uh, I was, it's actually funny, the, the context for that as I was reading this story, uh, which I've never heard preached, I've never like really studied in depth, which is part of my uh, a side goal in this series, is we're going to look at some of the familiar stories, but also some of the ones that are just not as familiar. This one is just one of the not so familiar ones. Um, but even though it's about the death of Moses, which, you know, as morbid of a thought as that is, uh, it actually shows us how amazing this story is that we have in our hands, the Bible. This one God, one story. Even a story like the death of Moses shows us how amazing this story God has given us and how he invites us into it. Um, so what I actually want to do with you today is, is go through it basically paragraph by paragraph and see in, in three sections how amazing this story is, how the death of Moses shows us how amazing this story is that God's given us and consider what it means for us today. So let me go ahead and pray and then, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much. Uh, for this beautiful day. Thank you so much for this beautiful community that we just get to live life together through the ups and the downs. Father, we celebrate uh, uh, our, uh, our earthly fathers, 
today. Uh, um, would you bless them? Thank you for just the gift that they are to us. Uh, and then for, for those uh, who uh, perhaps Father's Day is a little bit more of a challenge because uh, it brings up heavier thoughts and feelings because uh, uh, their relationship with their, with their father maybe it hasn't been the best or, or for whatever reason it's a hard day. Or would you remind all of us uh, that you are the perfect fathers. You are the, you are the good father. And so, Lord, we, we celebrate uh, today, ultimately, you. So be with us now as we go through the scriptures. Would you give me your spirit? Give us each your spirit as we try to understand what you'd have before us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the death of Moses, and it shows us how awesome this story is. The first, the first way we see how awesome of a story uh, uh, the Bible is through this experience is in the first few verses that Beth read for us. I'm just going to go ahead and read them again. It says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo, from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Nephtali and the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes. So we have to like put ourselves in Moses' shoes here. And just, he would have been absolutely awestruck at this view. I mean, he was looking at the promised land. It was one of those, those times where it's just, he would have just been so overwhelmed by the beauty of it all. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is what it's all been built towards. They've been wandering the desert. Here it is, and this is the land. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I feel like if there's a culture that understands the value of land, it's our culture. We understand the, va the value of land. Land is so, so expensive here, and we know that land is not, uh, it, it's the, the, the value of it is in the land itself. It's not so much in the property and the materials. It's in the land that's so expensive. Here's all this land Here's all this amazing land, and God's saying to Moses, here's what I'm going to give to you. And uh, I think to fully understand uh, what Moses would have been feeling, we also need to understand that we probably would have been looking at this through a different lens than he would have been. So imagine if you were up on Twin Peaks, you know, that, that awesome uh, hill uh, in San Francisco, looking out over the Bay Area. You know, you saw Marin County, you saw the East Bay, you saw the city, you saw down here in the Silicon Valley, and it's just one of those moments where, like, this is what you're going to get. I mean, we would just be like, that is amazing. Um, but in our own individualistic-centered culture, we'd probably be thinking more along the lines, oh, this is what I get. Maybe this is what my family gets. But you need to realize back then, to Moses especially, they weren't so individualistic-driven. They weren't even so much family-driven of a culture. They were a tribe. They were a people. And so Moses, when he was looking over this amazing land, he's thinking, oh my goodness, this is not just my family, but these are, these are many family trees, and it's going to be over generations. And of course, the Israelites are still there today in this wonderful land, this beautiful land. And so Moses would have been on absolute euphoria, excited about what he was seeing, this promise. He would have been filled, and in the very next verse, he said, this is the land I'm, I'm showing you, this is what you're going to get. Uh, what uh, what the, the descendants are going to get, Moses, God says to Moses, I have let you see it with your own eyes, next verse, but you will not cross over into it. Sorry, Moses, it's not going to work for you. 
which, I mean, that might seem a little jacked up, because it's kind of like, hey, here's this awesome land, and psych, not yours. Um, but you know what? Actually, this is not a surprise. Uh, Moses actually knew this was coming, um, because the context is this. At one point, when the Israelites were wandering around in the desert, uh, they began to grumble, which actually, they did that more times than not. Uh, they would grumble about any little thing when they're out in the desert. And at one point, they just felt like there's no water anywhere here in the desert, which is true. There's no water around. And they said, Moses, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt than to come out here and die of thirst. And Moses did what he normally did in that, on that occasion. He ran and fell before the Lord, and he said, God, what are we going to do? And God said, come on. I'm going to speak through you. I want you to speak to a rock, and water will gush out, and then it will provide for the people. So Moses went and did that, except he didn't speak to the rock. He actually hit it with his staff, which that's probably a little minor fraction there. In fact, that's probably not a big deal. But bigger to the point is when, he, when the water began to uh, come out in this whole episode, he took credit for God providing for the people. He made it, it made it sound like he was the one providing for the water when really it really was God's providing through him. And the reason why that was a big deal is it didn't happen off in private, somewhere no one could see or just a couple people. But he did it in front of all the people of Israel. He took credit. He, took, he stood in the place of God. And God said, you know what, Moses? For this, you're not going to be able to enter the promised land. You're already up there in age. This is, you're not going to be able to enter into it. So that was the deal. And here, actually, there's a bit of grace. God took Moses up to the mountain right before he was going to die. And he said, here's this wonderful land. But don't feel bad for Moses. Don't feel bad for Moses. Do you know why? Because we're told what his true perspective was on that mountain. And as awesome as it would have been to look into that promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, this amazing ground, he was seeing a foreshadow of the better thing yet to come. Uh, the Hebrews writer gives us this perspective. Um, I think it'll be up on your screen. But talking about Moses and, and, and a lot of the early patriarchs, with Moses in mind, he said this, all these great people died in faith. They did not get the things that God promised his people, but they saw them coming far in the future and were glad. They said they were like visitors and strangers on earth. When people say such things, they show that they are looking for a country that will be their own. If they had been thinking about the country they had left, they could have gone back. But they were waiting for a better country, a heavenly country. So God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared a city for them. Here's what this means. When Moses was looking into the promised land, he was seeing that it was pointing ahead to the great promised land available not just to him, but anybody who would ultimately put their faith in Jesus. And here's what this tells us about this amazing story. Is in God's story, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Um, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, a number of, of great uh, books. The Chronicles of Narnia is probably his most famous. Uh, one trilogy that he wrote that's not as, uh, as, as famous as the others is the Space Trilogy. And in it, he kind of talks about how there's all these floating islands. And on these floating islands, there's all the vegetation. There's all the places where people are working and doing all their thing. There's all these floating islands. And then off over here, there's the fixed land. There's the homeland. And no one actually ever really gets to that land, and no one really ever can. And that's kind of the point, as C.S. Lewis is drawing this allegory, is as much as we, we, we try to think of the islands that we live on in this life, which ultimately they are, they, are, they aren't our true home. They aren't our true home. The, our true home is over there. Um, you know, people will ask me, where am I from? 
and the answer to that has been pretty easy. I say I'm from the Bay Area. I've lived here, I don't know, about 20 years of my life. Um, first in the East Bay in a little town called Albany, then Berkeley, and now here in the Silicon Valley. But I was born in San Diego. And so, you know, I, I think the easiest way to say is I'm from the Bay Area because I've been here the most of my life. But when people say, where's your home? I'm always like, I, I don't know where my home is. I'm so confused. Where's my home? I was asked that when we were living in China a couple years. Like, where's your home? I was like, ah, San Diego. No, not San Diego. The Bay Area sort of, yeah, but it doesn't feel. And I, I'm always jealous of some of you guys who are like, oh, my home is L.A. or my home is Atlanta. You guys like have a place where, man, this is where, this is my home. But the reality is, what the reality is, is in God, uh, our home is the one that is coming. It's the best one yet to come. To, to borrow a phrase from the New Testament, uh, how writers put it th- uh, there, is we are citizens of heaven, of a better country, of a country yet to come, a better king. And it's going to be amazing, way better than even looking up at the Twin Peaks over the Bay Area and saying, this will be yours. Um, and so I feel like with this perspective, like the best is yet to come. Moses, look at all this, but it's a foreshadow of what's to come. With this perspective, the best is yet to come. Do, do you live with the end in mind? They say that the best advice in terms of living life without regret is to kind of do what you know, Moses was at the end of his life, and he was kind of having this moment of just kind of looking back and, you know, um, is the best thing to do in life in terms of living without regret is to picture yourself on your deathbed and ask yourself, you know, what, what kind of life of regrets would you have on your deathbed? Um, because they say it's not too hard to imagine, oh, I probably, man, I, I, if I get there and I have regrets, I'd probably be something like, I wish I'd spent more time with family. Or I wish I'd spent more time, if you're a person of faith, uh, doing things in the, of the faith. Um, and it's a real helpful perspective to understand, okay, this is how I can live here and now. But don't you see the promise in God's story is the deathbed is only a step into the next life, into the better life. And actually, that then frees us up in this life to live with that perspective, to live untethered for the next country, which is our true home. Let me put some uh, meat on the bones here. Like, for instance, I know through personal stories with a number of you guys, statistically speaking, I know this is true of a number of you in this room, uh, they say over 33% of the people living in the Silicon Valley are actively looking to move away, almost uh, mainly for the reason of it's so expensive. Um, which I, I get that, and we, we need to think about it, retirement, all that sorts of things. God, God talks about those things. But what about if we looked at from the perspective of we're looking for a better country, a heavenly country. We need to think about retirement and, and make decisions about that. Those things are good. I'm not trying to knock that. But what if we ask the question, where does God have us? And will he provide for us, even if it's not necessarily owning in this astronomically expensive area? Um, is, this, is this a place where I can be a part of his things? Which, man, guys, every time I read the news, I'm seeing more and more things about how the Silicon Valley is just shaping the world right now. I mean, it is... It has surpassed New York, Manhattan. It has surpassed Hollywood, D.C. I mean, Silicon Valley, we, and we get to be in this place where we get to influence influencers. Um, God is saying our home is not ultimately here, so we can live untethered. He, that's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others. Do work on the things that will last forever. Don't focus so much on the possessions, the material things, the homes, all the comfort, security. I will take care of those things. Focus on me. Focus on loving others to show me um, because the best is yet to come. 
And I just think that's such a wonderful perspective to, to let sink into our hearts here a little bit. Wherever we're at, um, Moses wrote this psalm, uh, Psalm 90. He said this. He said, teach us to number our days aright that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So if, the, if in God's story, the best is yet to come, how can we live uh, more in light of that? Uh, that's the first thought of how this is an awesome story. The second one we see in these next few verses, verses 5 through 9, I'm just going to read 5 and 9 to kind of uh, keep things moving. It says, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. And, and it mentions a few things about Moses and his burial. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Here's what I love about this text. It seems like a, a seemingly innocuous uh, a, a statement. Moses dies. But this is a huge, huge thought because Moses was the man. Moses was this huge character in the Bible. He parted the Red Sea. He delivered God's people from Pharaoh. He did all these signs and miracles. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He's getting three sermons in our Old Testament series. No one else is getting that treatment. He is the man. And yet, at the end of the day, he's a footnote in God's story. And Moses died. Next, now Joshua was filled with the Spirit. That hit me as I was reading. It's amazing to me. Moses was the man, and yet he's a footnote in God's story. And that's what's amazing about God's story that this shows us, is the story ultimately is not about Moses. It's not about you. It's not about me. Now, I think a lot of us have a little bit of attention here because we like the story to be about us. Um, you know, anytime we take a, a, a selfie, a group, a group photo selfie, and you look at the picture, where do your eyes immediately go? To yourself. And if you look good, the picture looks good. Post. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> we, in a sense, love the story being about us. But guys, it is so awesome, so amazing that the story is not about us. It is so awesome. That the, how can that be? Um, I'm following a friend on uh, Instagram who is uh, traveling through China. And uh, Cindy and I spent two years in China. We love uh, the Chinese culture, the people there, the food. It's just awesome. Um, but one thing about China, uh, here's a Captain Obvious statement, is there's a lot of people there. I remember when I was over there, I asked the guy, I said, well, you know, where are you from? He said, oh, I'm from a small town. And he told me the city. And I said, oh, I said, I said what's the population there? I'm just kind of curious. He's like, oh, yeah, small town. Three million people. The Bay Area is like eight million people, nine million people. Beijing, which is where we lived, unofficially seven years ago was 30 million people. 30 million people. So anyways, my, my friend was visiting, it, it was visiting Beijing, and, they were on, and she was on uh, Wang Fujing Road, uh, which basically think Times Square of Beijing. Um, and so, you know, she kind of took a selfie uh, with the crowds behind her, and it was just wall-to-wall -wall people, um, which I had so many mixed emotions going through me when I saw that. I was like, oh, familiar. Oh, it's nice to have breathing room. Um, but it was, it was really fun. She was like, all the wall-to-wall -wall people, and then she did it kind of clever. She, like, had, like, the top of her eyes so you could see her eyes, and then all the people, and her eyes were just doing this. Like, oh, my goodness, all the people. Look at all the people. So I wanted to read her caption just to kind of see what she thought. And uh, I thought it was just going to be something real superficial, like, oh, so many people. Um, but she, she actually got more uh, introspective than that. And I want to read what she said. She said, sometimes I have one of those days when I realize, wow, at the end of it all, if I place my worth and value in everything around me, I am just a number in a sea of people. And I thought about that. I was like, that's it right there. 
Because if we live, if, if our story is all there is, it's going to end as quickly as it started. If, if our story is all there is, it's here and it's gone. I mean, think about even the people we esteem the most in this culture, who put on the highest pedestals. I mean, Elon Musk, you know, the late Steve Jobs. Um, I know there's a lot of, corp, you know, startups here present, but you get the idea, all those people. Um, don't show favorites. Um, these people we put on a pedestal, they're accomplishing a ton. I mean, Steve Jobs, for instance, this dude, oh, he, he's basically the, the modern-day Thomas Edison, wouldn't you say? He's going to make textbooks because of the products I don't have in my pocket right now or I'm using to preach from and all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's going to wither up just like everything else. It's going to all, you know, and this is a morbid thought, it's going to burn up with the sun. I mean, now, I'm not knocking Steve Jobs and the wonderful things he did. And, and it, I mean, there's wonderful things, there's great things, and that's all good. But at the end of the day, philosophically speaking, or just kind of thinking about it holistically, at the end of the day, it's going to be a story that evap- evaporates. The story's not about you. The story's not about me. It's about him. It's about God. And in that, it's the most amazing thing because he is the one who was and is and is to be. And the things that we do in him and for him, they're eternal. They're everlasting. They will, n- they will never be taken away. Relationships, uh, all these wonderful things. And it's just, that's what we get to be a part of is that story. We get to, he, he, he invites us in. It says, Moses died, verse 9, now Joshua was filled with the Spirit. Moses, he played his part in God's story, and then it was Joshua's turn. And that's the amazing thing about what Jesus invites every single person into, is we get to be a part of God's story. Now, put your name in there. Now, real quickly, I, um, kind of as a, as a you know, thought I want to work through with you, uh, you know, I've heard over, uh, over the last few months, a number of times, and even over the last couple of weeks a couple of times, um, this thought kind of being out there and then the response being, oh, but I'm, I'm unworthy of that. I, I'm not unworthy to, like, be a part of those things. Or I'm inadequate. I don't have the ability to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, I would just ask, I, I would just say, if God, if, if you are really all that inadequate and if you are really all that unworthy, do you know the life of Moses? I mean, we just talked about how he basically claimed to be God and providing for the people. That sounds like a pretty big deal, morally speaking. Early on in his life, he murdered a dude. Yes, it was to protect some folks, but it was murder. And then when God called him, Moses said, I think you got the wrong guy. I can't, I can't, I'm not a good orator. I can't talk to people. I have a speech impediment. I can't do it. You got the wrong guy. And then time and time again in the, in the, in the desert, Moses struggled with faith. God, what? We, we can't do this. What are we going to do? God's like, Moses, trust me. Moses was not that great of a guy at the end of the day, but God used him. I mean, that's the point. God wants to use you. He wants to use me in his story. And it doesn't matter. Are, are you unworthy? Yeah, you're unworthy. As much as Moses was unworthy. Are you inadequate? Yes, you're inadequate. But if you're thinking those ways, it seems to me you have too high of a view, ironically, of yourself and too low of a view of God. Too high of a view of yourself because you're thinking, ah, it's not unto me. It isn't unto you. It's not about you, what you can do. And too low of a 
view of God because it's God who does it through you. Even in your weakness, almost especially in your weakness, through your weakness, his strength is made perfect. Um, and God invites us into the story. I mean, I just think that's the, the amazing part here. I mean, think about it. God changed the world with fishermen. His disciples were, were fishermen. God changed the world with a murderous, literally murderous, self-righteous Pharisee. That's the Apostle Paul who went on to plant all these churches. Are you worthy? No, you're not worthy. But if God calls you into a story, he's calling, he's got it. And that's so amazing about the story. It's not about you, it's about him. Last thought, and this is just the best, uh, verses 10 through 12 show us that it's not about you, it's not about me. It's ultimately about Jesus. It should come as no surprise because this is the whole point of this series. One God, one story. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, this is the first sermon of the series, he said uh, to, to disciples, uh, uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them how all the scriptures were about him. Starting with Moses, they're all about him. Now, with that lens, with that, with that new you know, set of ears, listen to these verses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Who did all, those, uh, who did all this, those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his officials, and to this whole land? For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now, let me come back to the thought I said earlier. Moses was the man. I mean, I always picture Moses as Charleston Heston. If you've seen the old movies, because it's such a good description of Moses. He was a ripped dude. We're actually told in the Bible, he was a built, he was just a specimen. I mean, this guy was, and then he was such a leader. I mean, he did all these signs. You know, he came down, he threw the Ten Commandments. I mean, it was an awesome thing. Um, you know what's really cool about Moses? Is, and this is why the Israelites then and today revere him above basically all the others, is because he was not only like a ruling, governing leader, but he was also their spiritual leader. There were no other leaders like that in the Old Testament. I mean, you have the great Elijah, the prophet. He was essentially the spiritual. He talked with God and came back and told the people. But that, he basically did the spiritual end of things. Uh, King David, yes, he wrote some spiritual songs. We call them the Psalms. We have them preserved today. Yes, he led the people in prayers. But really, he was the governing guy. He was the kingly leader. The prophet Nathan was working at that time. He was the prophet of spirit. All those sorts of, Moses was one and the same. Moses was the man. And yet, he points forward to Jesus. Uh, there is a really uh, uh, important prophecy right before this text, right, right before uh, Moses dies, that the Israelites, even a lot to, to this day, look at this text as, man, this is an important one. Uh, it's back in Deuteronomy 18. I'm not going to turn there now, but you can if you want uh, now or later. But basically, right before he dies, God says through Moses, and I will raise up a prophet like Moses. Like there's another one coming. And the reason why that's so important is because Moses was a spiritual leader, he was a governing leader. He, was, he did all these signs. There's no one like him. Now listen to how the Hebrews writer talks about Jesus in light of Moses to the Hebrew audience. This is a book of Hebrews written to a Hebrew audience, people who would have revered Moses more than I can even explain uh, uh, up here. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater 
honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken about God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over, over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. You know what this is telling us? In Jesus is the true and greater Moses. Charleston Heston, uh, Charleston Heston, like Moses, he came down, he did all these amazing things the, with the staff and the snake and turning, you know, parting the, the Red Sea, all these awesome deeds that it talks about here. You know what Jesus' awesome deeds were? Even greater than Moses. They weren't the theatrical. They were him coming up to the leper, coming up to the blind, coming up to the poor, and putting his healing hand on that was Jesus' awesome deed in the world. So bringing healing and restoration, not in pomp and circumstance, but just coming up and through physical touch. And I love this. It said Moses, uh, who knew the Lord face to face, Jesus was God himself come to us face to face. Here's what this text in Hebrew shows us. Here's what our, our text in, in Deuteronomy 34 shows us is the greatest thing that Moses did out of all the awesome things that he did, parting the Red Sea, delivering from Pharaoh, walking around in the desert all that time, the greatest thing far and beyond all of them was to bear witness to Christ. Bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. He was pointing to Jesus. You know what's so awesome about that? We can do the same thing. We can do the same thing that ultimately Moses, as awesome as he was, is regarded so highly for. And the most important thing is pointing to Christ. We get to point to Christ. If we're a follower of his, that's, that's our honor, that's our privilege. And here at Current, you know, our whole vision, our whole thought is not to do it in a, you know, find a soapbox way and, you know, condemn people into the feeling. No, that's not, first of all, in the Bible. But second of all, we just want to genuinely, authentically point people to Jesus intentionally trying to make trying to make the connection for people um any of you guys follow humans of new york you guys know that that little uh that little thing i forget where it first started but i'm following on instagram now um the whole deal is they go out to people it started in new york now they do it kind of all over the place but they go out and they just interview folks and i would love to sit in on their one of their interviews because they just get so deep and so intimate and real with people that people just open up just kind of things that they're just it's like a window into people's souls. I mean, you just hear about people's lives uh, through their interviews. It's, it's really uh, a moving. If you, if you haven't checked it out, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, but there was this, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, there was this post, uh, this picture of this really gruffy-looking dude. He's sitting there with his, with his girlfriend, but he was in focus. Real scruffy-looking, you know, built, you know, manly dude with his big beard. Um, but he had an expression on his face that you, you and I probably wouldn't expect on a dude who generally looks like this, and that was one of vulnerability. You're just kind of looking at the camera with, with a vulnerable expression. And so I, I read the uh, interview. He kind of has a quote um, of him talking, and it talked about how when he was real young, uh, his, his mother got addicted to drugs, and it eventually led to addiction to heroin, and just it took over her life. And she ended up leaving him at a young age to care for uh, his brother and his nephew who was disabled. He doesn't give the time frame on it, but it's probably about high school. Um, and he was, he's talking about how, you know, he was working for like 5.50 an hour, trying his best to do this, the whole thing. And how 
you know, after some space, you know, he, you know, growing up a little bit, becoming an adult, he had some time to kind of reflect and look back on it. He's just saying, uh, he's like, yeah, man, my mom really gave me an awful life. It was really, it really was, was hard. Um, but he said this. He said, you know what? I'm now experiencing a stability for the first time in my life. And I'm kind of like, what do I do with this? But, but it's actually really, really hard. Because in the stability, I, for the first time, have the time and space to actually think about and process what I've been through. And I don't want to do that. It's hard. And so I'm reading that, and you, know, you see the guy's picture, and you're moved, right? Um, wanted to pray for the guy. And I noticed uh, on my feed that someone, someone here who will remain, remain nameless, um, for, for, I don't want to embarrass you, uh, had liked the photo, but not just liked the photo, had put this little uh, sentence on there, which I thought was so awesome. Talk about just pointing somebody to Christ. So, so you are a hero and inspiration to us all. Don't forget it. God bless you. I was just like, man, that's so good. There's nothing preachy about that. It, it's very, like, as I was reading his, uh, or her, his, his uh, response here uh, to, this, to this response, I was, I was moved by that. And he ended it by saying, God bless you. And I was just like, there it is. I, who knows if this guy will ever read it, but he's just, this is my way of pointing people to Jesus. Here's an opportunity. I'm just going to do that. Um, when we were on uh, vacation, uh, at the hotel we were staying at, there was uh, all the employees had, of course, name tags. But in, on the, each name tag, it said, my passion is, and real small letters. And then, you know, they, ha- they were all had their passion on there. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were living life and, you know, going to the beach and cool, cool passions like that. One guy on there uh, said, my passion is Jesus Christ. And, you know, as a pastor, I'm not going to let that go. I'm like, oh, okay, let's talk. Uh, I was like, hey, you know, we got in this fun conversation. I was asking him, like, what was, it, what was it about, why he had it on there. And he said, well, first of all, the reason I have it on there is because he is, he's my passion. I was like, oh, that's, that's a good answer. Um, but he said, you know, I mean, you know, and, and then it, it's just a conversation starter. You know, I just want to be able to talk to people about Jesus. I don't want to do it in like a, but I, I want to be intentional about it. And what was crazy is I saw him later get in the conversation with somebody. I was like, there it goes. You're just loving on somebody. The greatest thing that we can do as followers of Christ is point people to Jesus. What was Jesus' greatest miracle? What was the greatest parting of the Red Sea moment? Was him dying on the cross, forgiving our sins, and making the way back to God available. That is the best news ever. That means the best is yet to come. And the story's not about us, but we get to point people to him. And in pointing people to him, we get to be a part of the most amazing thing ever. And celebrate with him, celebrate with each other. How can we point people to Jesus? We got pub trivia coming up. Man, I love pub trivia. Number one, it's just super fun. Um, but, but number two, I mean, it, it doesn't get easier of an invite than that. And we're not preachy at these things. We just want to love on folks. Have people come in. If you're, if you're here and you're checking things out, and you just, just come and hang out. We just want people to, we just want to have fun. But I'll tell you what, it's at pub trivia that we have almost the most spiritual conversations that we have anywhere. Why is a church doing a pub trivia event? I was sharing with the team earlier. I love saying, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Huh, tell me about this church. Well, okay. Okay, let's talk about it. And by the way, you're welcome to come. Um, in your workplace, in our neighborhoods, how can we point people to Jesus? Uh, because the best is yet to come. Uh, let's pray. Father, you are the good, good Father. You gave us everything in Jesus.
You gave us your son face to face that we might know you. You gave your son on the cross that we, that we might be with you. And we thank you, Father. Um, you're the perfect father. Lord, we, we, we mess up in so many ways. But that's the point. That's why you sent Jesus. Because you love us. You want to extend us your grace. So, Father, for those who are here and, and they're, they're followers of yours and they struggle with that, how can God extend grace to me in this area? Would you just help them get over themselves in a certain respect and just allow your grace just to wash over them? Pray that for myself, too. And then, Lord, as a church, help us to extend that grace to others. Because that's what, that's what this is all about. Your son, Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ and you'd like to put your faith in him, uh, you, you can today. Uh, it's, it's really straightforward. Jesus said, uh, 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 the Bible says, to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is he lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve. And in him we have life, both now and forever. And if you'd like to receive Jesus today, you can do that uh, in your heart. And you can indicate that by raising your hand today with everybody's uh, heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to give you the opportunity, not that raising your hand saves you, but more indication of what's happening in your heart. And receiving him, uh, he will receive you. You become a child of God receive life in Jesus. If you'd like to do that today, you can raise your hand now. I'll see it. I'll pray for you. Just give you another moment. Fathers, we continue to worship you in song. We just want to give this day to you. Even as we go out and eat tacos, we just want to celebrate your goodness to us. Thank you for this community that you've given us. Um, we praise your name. In Jesus' name.